So even if you don't have the, the traffic or the time to run split tests in your own business, you can ensure that sort of that baseline uh, landing page template that you start out with is going to be highly convert, uh, is going to convert well for you. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Hey everyone, just a quick heads up that we're giving away a ebook called 29 Growth Hacking Quick Wins. We co-authored this book with Matan Griffel of One Month, and it'll give you a solid base on where you can create growth ideas from. So all you need to do is text QUICK TIPS to 33444. That's the word QUICK, Q-U-I-C-K, and TIPS, T-I-P-S as in sugar, to 33444, and you get instant access. All right, everyone. Today we have Clay Collins, who's the CEO of Lead Pages, the world's easiest landing page generator. Myself, big fan of Lead Pages. I've used it for a couple of years. I also force it on other people, whether it's clients or friends. You know, it's just a great tool, and uh, you know, it's been indispensable. So, um, Clay, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me and for the opportunity. Yeah. So, why don't you talk a little bit about who you are and kind of some background on the company? Yeah, so uh, so again, my name is Clay Collins. Uh, I'm the I'm a co-founder of Lead Pages, and um, Lead Pages is a landing pla- uh, a landing page and lead generation uh, platform. So we do a lot more than just landing pages. We allow you to collect leads through forms, through automation links, through uh, SMS and text messages. So if you want to, for example, you're, let's say you're on stage and you can tell people to text. Um, slide deck to 33444 to get the slides and you can collect uh, email, uh, you know, you can build your list through just a variety of, of mechanisms and methods with, with lead pages. And uh, I come from a, uh, a science and psychology background and uh, I started this kind of sort of around the same time that I dropped out of a PhD program in developmental neuropsychology and so I, I think um, uh, I, I see a lot of what we're doing behind the scenes from a data perspective, from an experimental uh, psychology lens. Got it. Okay, cool. And so obviously, you know, the, the, the landscape, I mean, you know, landing pages, there's a lot of different uh, competitors out there. So what do you think makes lead pages stand out? There's obviously a lot of different features, things like that. But, you know, it's always good to hear from kind of the one of the co-founders. Yeah, so I think we... Nailed the use case. So we make it, we are hands down the the simplest and easiest solution to use in terms of a number of minutes from sort of getting started to having a published page that works. We're we're the fastest. And uh, and we also come with a number of just highly converted uh, or highly converted, uh, converting pre- generated templates that you can sort by conversion rate. So for example, you can go in and say, I'd like to look at all the webinar registration uh, templates in your system. And then you can just check one box to sort those templates by average conversion rate. So you can actually select the webinar registration page 
template that on average has pages that outperform the others. So even if you don't have the, the traffic or the time to run split tests in your own business, you can ensure that sort of that baseline uh, landing page template that you start out with is going to be highly convert, uh, is going to convert well for you. Got it. Yeah, just to give an example, a little anecdote, you know, I, I did start a, a new business with a friend recently. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't, in the old days, you would have to say, okay, let's go to a designer first, pay maybe a couple hundred or a couple thousand bucks, then you have to get it coded, then there's revisions and things like that. And, you know, setting up a landing page in the past, which used to be really daunting, if you wanted to kind of have proof of concept. So what we did is we just, you know, I, I opened up my lead pages account, we threw it up, we threw up a page page in literally like five to 10 minutes. And then we just kept using that page and actually converted pretty well. And we had proof of concept for the business and we knew we can kind of, you know, pour more money into it. So I think for people trying to start businesses nowadays, lead pages makes things way easier. And not only just for people starting businesses, but, um, you know, even right now, you know, when we have different, uh, different eBooks or things to give away, you know, we use lead pages and it just makes things a lot uh, easier. So um, the question for you is, you know, for, and I, I kind of give an answer already to this, but how, it, from your perspective, how can a startup use lead pages most effectively? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the most important thing to keep in mind is that everywhere where you are creating content, or publishing content, uh, you should you should treat that content as a landing page that can be used to generate leads. So um, a while ago, I was speaking at Icon, which is the Infusionsoft event. I was on stage, and I allowed people to download the slide deck if they just uh, texted Icon to three three four four four. They did that, and uh, and I provided the slide deck to those people. And I collected, I believe, 350 leads. Wow. So that was an instance where most people would have would not have done any lead generation whatsoever from their business. They would have sort of considered it to be a branding event uh, or a word of mouth thing. Um, and we were using this for, you know, direct sales marketing purposes. Same with our podcasts. Um, you know, on every single podcast, we allow people to uh, use lead digits uh, to, you know, on, on with our own podcast, we'll, we use our lead digits product to allow people to opt in for webinars, to, uh, to register for various uh, lessons and email sequence or show notes. And, um, so it's not just about, uh, offline or online stuff. It's about offline. It's about offline stuff as well. And you'll, if you go to our blog at blog.leadpages.net, you'll notice that every single blog post, almost without exception, comes with a customized lead magnet created just for that individual blog post that people can download at the at the end of it. So I think it's really important to make sure that you're capitalizing on every single opportunity available to you to generate leads for your business and get people into the top of the funnel. It's not just, you know, sending paid media to a landing page. It's, you know, it's podcasts. It's talks that you're giving on stage. It's every single blog post you ever create. It's your homepage. It's your demo page. It's across the board. You should be doing everything you possibly can to uh, build up your your uh, your your audience. Got it. Okay. Uh, so two questions here. The first one is of the 350 people. I mean, how many people were in the room overall? I'm just trying to get an idea of what the conversion rate looked 500. like. Five hundred. Five hundred. Wow. Yep. That's insanity right now. So, yeah. 
So 70% conversion rate. Um, okay, that's crazy. And so the next question is how... And I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's going to come okay. back to me. That's what editing is for. Yep. Um, but let's move on. I mean, how's the company doing today in terms of number of customers? Yeah, so we started and launched our product in January of 2013. And uh, here we are at the end-ish of 2015, and we're at just over 38,000 customers. Wow. Paying customers. So this isn't like a freemium model, and none of these people, like every single one of these 38,000 people are, uh, are, are paying us on a recurring basis. Got it. Okay. And the question just came back to me. Thank God. Um, so you talked about people, you know, not just creating a blog post, but actually, or whatever type of content you're, 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 you're making or creating, you're actually adding upgrades to them. Right. So the question to you is, you know, how does that look like in terms of, you know, the, the person that handles that in your organization, who handles that? Yeah, I think really everyone in our organization who produces or touches content is responsible for this. So there's not just a person who goes along and creates content upgrades around all the content we're producing. It's really embedded into our marketing organization, our marketing machine. So for example, um, we have someone who full-time owns our YouTube channel and they're responsible for producing videos within the organization. And they make sure that every time they create a video that there's an opt-in opportunity that's sort of custom created from the ground up to to go with that video. Same with the podcast. The person who creates our podcast, Tim Page, who who creates a conversion cast or host conversion cast, makes sure that every time he publishes an episode of conversion cast, there's an opt-in opportunity, there's a lead generation opportunity. Same with our blog authors. So it's not the kind of thing that we're doing after the fact. We're actually... Um, as we're creating content, we're creating the content upgrades that people can opt in for um, when they're reading the content. And so you mentioned the word upgrade. So what is a content upgrade? And a, uh, a content upgrade is a term that I believe we coined to refer to um, you know, upgrading your, your content uh, and your content experience. So if you read a blog post, let's say, you might uh, opt in to download a checklist that helps you execute on the things that you learned about uh, in, uh, in the blog post. Or if you're listening to a podcast, a, uh, if you're listening to a podcast, a content upgrade might be that, you know, if you opt in, you can get the show notes and the transcript from the podcast episode, right? If you're publishing a video on your blog, a content upgrade might be getting the audio version of that or the audio only version. So you can listen to it on your, on your iPhone or whatever. So uh, regardless of what type of content you're putting out, there's almost always a very simple and easy content upgrade that you can provide to people uh, after they uh, join your newsletter. Got it. Okay. And just so the, I, the, the audience has an idea of how these work, I mean, how well do these typically convert for you? Yeah, so on most blogs that I've been involved with, kind of at the global level, the newsletter subscription is about anywhere between a half a percent and two percent. So between a half percent and two percent of people who visit a given blog will subscribe to the blog or the blog newsletter. 
But uh, content upgrades often perform anywhere from you know thirty to seventy five percent in terms of you know the the, the opt in rate from that content. So it's it's an order of magnitude uh, higher conversion rate for a custom uh, piece of content that is paired with a with a blog post someone's viewing, for example. So let's say someone finds a blog post on exercises or like let's say they type in you know post-pregnancy exercises right into google and they find a blog post with that content the likelihood that they'll immediately subscribe to that blog's newsletter is pretty low but the likelihood that they'll opt in to download a pdf an illustrated pdf of the 10 exercises that were talked about in the blog post along with maybe a workout program for implementing them is much much higher so it takes more work but it also converts at a at a much higher rate and it creates a nice content flywheel for you or a nice lead gen flywheel so every time you do this you're producing articles content audio etc that can rank in google and that can generate leads for you day in and day out in your business Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? At, at the end of the day, if you've spent that all that time creating the content, you just spend a little more time and then you can see your conversion rates skyrocket. So it's just that extra bit of work. Um, so obviously you guys run a lot of different uh, tests all the time. There's a lot of impressive stuff going on. So can you talk to us about some you know recent conversion tests that you've ran that have really skyrocketed your growth? Oh man, we've tried so many things. Um, yeah, so you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from actually providing um, specific results, and I'm more going to point to things to test because Perfect. we've tested a lot of different things, and um, I'll give you an example. So we've tested uh, animated video on landing pages. So uh, landing pages where the the background of the page is uh, an animated video. So rather than a, you know, a normal kind of uh, embedded video on the page, the background on the page is, is sort of moving. And we've seen positive results and negative results with that, depending on what the background video is. Um, we've tested putting the, um, the pricing information on the front page along with the direct link to purchase. And we've seen that in some cases work well. And in other cases, we've seen it uh, not work out uh, as well. Uh, we've played around with removing uh, headers and navigation and, again, seen things improve in some cases and in other cases uh, not improve. I, I think the problem when people split test is they tend to test uh, smaller things rather than bigger things. So, you know, the, the quintessential split testing um, case study is like button color. Let's play around with button color. And mm. that's probably not the best thing to test. Um, usually, the best things to test are uh, headlines and uh, and copy, really over over layout. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I mean, one thing I remember uh, on well, your podcast, Conversion Cast. Everybody should listen to that, by the way. Um, one thing you guys talked about was the, I believe it's the reverse squeeze where you guys have, you, you guys give a lot of value up front. In this case, you're giving away an entire mm. course. Um, yep. Can you talk to us about that campaign? Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So that's a great example. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so we've, 
played around with different lead capture pages for giving away uh, courses and free content. So there's someone in-house on our marketing team who spends about half their time creating large courses that I think other businesses might charge anywhere from $200 to $400 for. So for example, we have a Facebook advertising course, we have an affiliate marketing course, uh, we have a SEO course, I believe. We've got a number of these courses and they generally uh, contain eight to 12 videos along with mind maps, worksheets, uh, audio downloads, transcripts, etc. And so we've played around with providing the bulk of the content um, either pre-opt-in or post-opt-in. So in one version of the landing page for, uh, you know, for giving people this content, we've put all the content behind the behind the opt-in. So someone has to opt in to see the course material. We also played around with posting all 10 videos on the course page, but allowing people to download the videos themselves and the audio and the transcripts and the mind maps if they just, uh, you know, after they opt in. And that's probably our highest converting type of landing page. So you demonstrate an insane amount of value up front, right? People can view 10 plus videos as part of this course on a single landing page. And what's going on psych psychologically is people see an enormous amount of value being provided for free. So that builds trust. But it also um, creates this tension in the mind uh, of the viewer because on one hand, they see an enormous amount of value and on the other, they know that they simply can't consume all that value while viewing the page. So what they end up doing is opting in so that they can download everything onto their hard drive as a zip file to consume later. So it's, it's this tension between an insane amount of value, A, that B, they cannot capture uh, immediately or they cannot consume immediately and so to relieve that psychological tension, they opt in so that they can put that zip file on their hard drive and say to themselves that they can uh, watch or listen to that material later. And, and a lot of them do. So versus uh, an opt-in page where 100% of the course material is behind an opt-in wall and someone can't really directly observe the quality of that course material and know whether or not it actually contains uh, a lot of value. So that, that type of experiment has worked incredibly well for us. We've seen anywhere from uh, you know, 8 to 10x increases in opt-in rates. When you can deliver that amount of value, put it all on the landing page, and then allow people to actually download everything once they opt in. Got it. Okay. And I have to ask, I know you don't want to give specific numbers, but in this scenario, I have to ask, what type of conversion rates are you seeing there exactly? Uh, for that type of page, we've seen like over sixty percent. Wow. Version okay. Rate. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's the thing that's said you know all the time now. You know you you instead of asking people out on a date or asking them you know asking them for sex straight up, uh, you know you're you're giving them something of value and you're you're building massive massive trust. And in this scenario, I mean you you don't hear about people giving so much upfront value. So I think it's amazing that you know it's worked so well for you guys. Um, okay, so you know. Right now, you guys have a crazy, you know, a crazy marketing flywheel going on. And I, I'm really wondering, you know, how is your marketing team built slash organized right now? Because it's a well-oiled machine. Yeah. So 
when we first started, I was looking at a bunch of companies in our space, HubSpot, Marketo, Infusionsoft, et cetera. And I was looking at how they had created growth. And these were all uh, venture-backed companies that had raised a lot of money. And they were all growing by virtue of scaling their, their sales teams. And they had very high customer acquisition costs. So uh, HubSpot, for example, recently released their S1 filing and they were paying like $11,000 to acquire a customer. And I knew that just wasn't going to be possible for us because we were bootstrapped at the time. And we simply could not spend that amount of money to acquire a customer. So uh, I tried to develop a one-to-many direct sales marketing system that allowed us to, uh, to grow really fast um, without initially building a sales team. And we have a sales team now, and they're fantastic, and they're crushing it, and they're growing every month. But at the beginning, that just wasn't, uh, wasn't a possibility because, again, when you have a customer acquisition cost that's in excess of $10,000, you end up with, in, with a situation where it, it takes – over a year of someone being a customer on your platform to pay back mm-hmm. the amount that it costs to acquire that customer in the first place. So for example, companies like Zendesk have a, I think Zendesk reported a two and a half year payback period. In other words, the average customer needs to be on Zendesk for two and a half years before Zendesk can break even on the money they spent to acquire the customer uh, in the first place. So this means that the faster that the faster they grow, the more in debt they have to go uh, before those, you know, be- before that two and a half year payback period kicks in. So again, this wasn't feasible for us. So uh, what I ended up doing is scaling our content team to do one to many sales, uh, as opposed to scaling our sales team. So we started off with me making videos and I was just making videos of the product and I was allowing people to opt in on our blog to download the landing page templates that I was talking about. So we'd give away the landing page templates for free and people would opt in and I would make videos about this. And that drove a lot of opt-ins and a lot of sales into lead pages. So at some point I was too busy with other things running the business and uh, I hired someone else to make those videos and that continued to work really well. In fact, it worked better when he was making the videos than when I was making the videos. Mm. Um, so our first kind of content marketing hire was was a, someone making videos. And from there, uh, we hired someone to create blog posts. And uh, again, we were tracking all the metrics. So we knew how much blog posts were bringing in revenue. We had attribution models and all that. We also knew how much our videos were making. And so it turns out that our first videographer and our first uh, blogger were generating uh, more per year in sales than the than sort of the, the average salesperson uh, at Salesforce. So uh, again, our content uh, marketers were, were outperforming salespeople at other companies. So then from there, we hired uh, someone who did nothing but uh, who or who does nothing but webinars. And our podcasts, and again, uh, ROI positive. I mean, we've just we've just scaled in that fashion. So every every single time that another company would have hired a salesperson, we hired another uh, content creator for again creating uh, one to many sales messages and scaling our one to many sales system. 
Got it. Okay. Now, how do you, I mean, you guys have a lot of different campaigns going on and a lot of this is, is, you know, for, for startups, especially it's difficult to kind of track everything in place. So how did you guys go about that, that tracking process in the beginning? Um, you mean for like doing attribution? Attribution. That's right. Yeah. So at the beginning, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, if you're doing webinars and sales come from the webinar, you just kind of like track who bought kind of sort of during the webinar, right? Um, if you are, uh, if you have a blog, you can, using tools like Mixpanel and Kissmetrics, um, you can find out what the last piece of content was that was viewed uh, before someone purchased something. Um, so there's always kind of hacky ways to figure out what's moving the needle and, and what isn't. And, and that's fine. I think a lot of people spend way too much time and money on perfecting their attribution when they should still, when they should just be identifying things that just are clearly working and doing a hundred X more of those. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I think people can definitely get into the pattern of, and I've seen startups do this in the past, where you kind of just focus on, you know, all these little small things where you're saying you should just focus on the things that are driving growth, right? Right. So, for example, when we started putting out videos, we had a, a an immediate spike in revenue. Revenue. It's like, well, how can we create more videos? Let's hire someone else to make videos. So that's when we hired like our second videographer, and it continue, you know, it continued to trend. We um, increased revenues as a result of that. And so there's stuff that's non-obvious and there's stuff that's incredibly obvious. And most of the huge growth drivers are incredibly obvious uh, from day one. And I think that a sign of a, of a failing startup is they're like, well, maybe if we change our button color, then everything will be better, right? Maybe if we <laughs> you know, can figure out or attribute this uh, unattributable half a percent of the, you know, formula for how this is happening, then, you know, we'll have the keys to making everything work. And uh, I think especially, especially at the very beginning of, of a startup, like, you know, first couple years, like pre, you know, pre $10 million in annual recurring revenue, the growth drivers are going to be really obvious. If you need a formula or fancy software or, you know, ridiculous, you know, an incredible amount of analysis to figure out what's working, then you probably have, you know, haven't arrived at a huge growth driver for your business. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I like that simplification. I think it's a, it's a key point that, uh, I mean, it, it, it will make or break your business. That's great. Um, okay. So, you know, you, you, in the beginning, I mean, you, you started to build a lot of content, you know, at what point, you know, did you decide it was the right time to start building a sales team? Yeah, I think that, so I believe that the gravitational pull of any software for business is to become more enterprise over time. So we started off with software that was pretty basic and created for solopreneurs only. So our average customer was like one to two people. That was the size of their business. And then some people started asking us for split testing. So we added split testing and we got a more sophisticated buyer. And then they were like, well, we'd like phone support. So we added phone support. And then they were like, well, we'd like sub accounts so that we can create accounts under the main account for our clients. So then we added sub accounts and then we got more agencies buying our product. And then there were, then people were like, well, we'd like 
you know, Salesforce, Marketo, and HubSpot integration. And so we added those, and then our customer got larger. And at, at some point, um, the, the, the amount of missed opportunities that, that we were passing by because we didn't have an enterprise sales team who could demo the software, who could, um, you know, walk people through, you know, if there's ever, you know, some finer contract negotiations or a, a company wants to write us a check and do an annual deal or a multi-year deal or they want us to, you know, um, fly out and see them if the deal's big enough. Like, we just weren't able to do that. So people would write in, you know, we'd have like a CMO at a company or a VP of marketing at a company say, I'm interested, but like, talk to me here. Like, can we jump on the phone? And we were like, no, we, we, we won't jump on the phone. Um, <laughs> Because it, it just wasn't our model and it wasn't the best use of my time and there wasn't anyone in-house who could like take those phone calls. So that's when we started building that team. We, we didn't do it opportunistically as much as we did it in response to demand from, our, uh, from prospective customers for that type of uh, hand-holding and accommodation. Got it. Okay. Now, you know, I assume switching to this this sales uh, this more sales driven approach. I mean, you know, I noticed a couple of months ago you started you, you guys started really pushing the the annual and even like a two year deal where you guys I think would give correct me if I'm wrong here I think it was uh, thirty or forty percent off if you signed a two year deal. Yeah, that could be true. Okay, so how did that do? Because you know, you guys made a really hard push when I logged into the dashboard. I saw that. I, I think I even signed up for it too. I, I just kept seeing it over <laughs> and over. I'm just like, okay, screw it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it. Yeah, I think that um, I think that you know it's it's the kind of thing where if if you're if you'll commit to us for a longer uh, period of time, we're willing to cut you some slack. And I think with any software for for business, you run into this this problem where someone will sign up because it seemed like a good idea, and in the first month they. You know, they, they just kind of don't get around to doing it because they're busy people and they have a lot lot of things going on. And so it's often not until that second month or third month that they start implementing. And if someone's if someone has buyer's remorse or is really gun shy, the likelihood that they'll churn during that first 30 day money back return period um, is high unless we've you know sort of entered into an annual commitment together. And, and, and then things turn around because instead of trying to figure out if, if they want it during the first month, they'll sort of just realize that they've made an annual commitment and they'll start getting uh, a lot of their value out of, you know, month two, month three, month four. So it's much easier for us to justify our price when you take a year long view than when you look at any individual month during which you may or may not have used the product and, uh, try to try to figure out if you got your money's worth. So we wanted sort of the that sort of the scope of analysis for the you know for evaluating whether or not you got your money out of the product. We wanted that to be a, a, an annual analysis rather than a monthly analysis because some months people don't do anything at all. Some months people are launching five different things, and uh, and so it, it just uh, kind of behooved us to uh, to emphasize an annual model and and frankly. Uh, we've seen our customers do better with it, and um, and they get a break. Makes sense. Okay, 
So wrapping up here, I mean, we've got a few more questions. Um, switching gears a little bit, tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing lead pages. Oh, man. Um, you, you know, there's, there's, there's really been so many. So, you know, three years ago, we were like three people, and now we're 150 people. Three years ago, you know, we had no customers. Right now, we have... Uh, again, over 38,000 customers. Three years ago, we hadn't raised any venture capital. Uh, right now, we've raised over, uh, or we've raised 38 million in venture capital. So a lot has happened during this time, and scaling is difficult. And it's it's difficult, like on every single level uh, imaginable. Scaling your org chart, scaling your uh, your support team, scaling your engineering, dealing with technical debt. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's all been difficult, but it's also been the, the, the most enjoyable, uh, it's, it's like, it's, it's been one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done in my life is, is, is working on this business. I, I would say all the, all the big challenges really come down to, um, down to people. And if you have an amazing culture and you're proactively doing the right things, it becomes easier. But you know, sometimes you, you know, sometimes you hired the wrong person. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you hire the right person and they're not in the right role. Uh, sometimes there's a position you really, really, really need to fill and it takes twice as long to fill it as you need to. So you end up spending, uh, or as you, as you should have, and so you end up spending a whole bunch of your time doing things that you fundamentally suck at because you can't make this higher yet. Um, and so I, I really say it, it a hundred percent comes down to, to people and, you know, uh, uh, technology is technology and most tech problems, you know, can be solved unless you're literally, you know, SpaceX and trying to go to the moon, most technology problems can be solved. Um, and so after that, it's, it's, it's people, 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 people are the most important uh, the most important aspect of, of business hands down. And so it's people and culture, people and culture all day long and, and making sure that people are informed that you're not uh, changing things without talking to the right people and soliciting input from the right places and just all that stuff. I mean, humans and human psychology is, is just messy and that's okay. Got it. Okay. Now, you know, going from three, to 150 is you know that, that's amazing growth right there but you you know being being one of the co-founders you know there's a lot you had to learn there so how did you manage that the rapid growth of people i i managed the rapid growth of people by surrounding myself with amazing people so my co-founder tracy is a huge uh culture nerd she's worked in hr in the past and she's you know, done over before she even started building this company with me, she had done over a thousand interviews and she had a really good background uh, in that. Uh, we also made a strategic decision early on to heavily uh, invest in recruiters. And right now we have four full-time recruiters uh, at lead pages that do nothing but try and find us uh, the best talent. So um, a lot of the things that we've learned haven't been learned by me directly. They've been sort of learned at the organizational level. And I think that's really the, the most, that's the most powerful level. When you're growing really, really, really fast, 
you can end up in a situation after a year or a year and a half where, you know, the average person has been at your company two months and reports to someone who's been at your company for six months. And when you're that young, there just isn't a lot of institutional knowledge. You know, people, you know, everyone who's facing a problem, you know, is facing that problem for the first time uh, in your organization. And they're going to someone else who's never faced that problem before for advice on on how to handle it. Um, And so I remember back in the day I was talking to the CEO of, of this company called Active Campaign. And he said something really interesting to me. He said, we've been at this for 10 years. And like most of the people who are currently here have been here for the whole 10 years. So we communicate in shorthand. Like if we're dealing with something, it's probably not the first time we've ever addressed it. We probably had lots of conversations about how to think about this type of problem. And there's lots of just tribal and institutional knowledge about how to, how to build this kind of software, how to do this kind of thing. And um, it's really cool to be at the three-year mark and to realize that we're kind of getting there ourselves, that you know, when, we, when we look to do certain things or to engineer certain types of solutions, we're kind of, kind of getting to the place where there's enough people around at any given time that you know, when you ask about how to, think, how to do something or how to think about something, they're, they're pretty dialed into the lead pages way of doing it. And communication is much faster and more fluid. And projects just um, just happen a lot faster as well. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I, I've I've watched uh, you know the, the growth in the last three years has been incredible. Uh, I've been a customer for I think the last two or so. So oh, thank it's you. A testament to you guys. Um, and it's, it's amazing just hearing about all these stories. Um, so what's one piece of advice you'd give to your let's say twenty two year old self? Ah, honestly, um, so this isn't very um, tactical, but. So one, I'd probably tell myself to, to drop out of college. Or no, I graduated by the time I was 22. Uh, so I'd probably, I'd probably tell myself to meditate every day. Mm. Um, because, yeah, I'd, I'd tell myself to, to meditate every day. Um, I'd, probably, I'd probably also start reading just a, a number of, of key books that have had a, a, really, a really big impact. Uh, influence on me. And I'd I'd just probably try and get exposed to those ideas earlier on. Um, But uh, mostly, I think I just tell myself to, uh, to just have a lot more fun and to uh, realize that uh, enjoyment and happiness is a pretty good, (laughs) um, a pretty good means for navigating your way throughout life. If you're not insanely happy about what you're doing, you're probably not doing the right thing. Well said. Well said. How do you structure your day? Oh, I don't know that I structure at all. Um, so yeah, so I don't really believe in work-life balance uh, <laughs> or lifestyle design. So my idea of an awesome lifestyle is being able to hire the best people in the world to work on the most interesting problems to you and to have the luxury to spend all day working your tail end off doing exactly what you want to be doing. So, uh, again, my, my idea of lifestyle isn't like sitting on the beach, you know, eating bonbons or traveling around the world. It's, it's having the luxury to spend 100% of my day doing things that I absolutely love to do with incredibly competent people who are able to, to move the needle. And so, 
you know, my day is pretty much, uh, I, I get up in the morning and I'll probably meditate or write my journal and then I'll just kind of like work and until, uh, evening and I'll spend some time with my wife and then I'll work until I pass out and then I'll just like repeat it <laughs> the next day. And, uh, and it's, it's phenomenal. Like it's, it's a good life. What goes into that journal? Um, mostly just, just lists. So I'll, I'll often just be like, you know, for example, uh, the other day I was feeling like something was off and I didn't know what. So I just decided I was going to write down 40 things that I wanted. Like, what do I want? You know, well, uh, I'd like to laugh more about X, Y, and Z. You know, I want it. Sometimes it's just really basic stuff. Like I want the temperature to be warmer in this room. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'll actually walk over and like turn up the temperature. You know, um, I want to have a meeting today that actually gets to the bottom of X, you know, and then so I'll just kind of like solidify some of these things that are just like bubbling up in the edge of, of, of my psyche. Um, or if I'm not feeling good on a, on a particular day, I'll, I'll maybe just write a list of things that make me happy to kind of like reset myself and, and realign me to, to the things that, uh, that, that make me come alive. Got it. So okay. It's just lots of list making. It's not narrative. So the journal is more of like a free for all. Yep. Got it. Okay. Now that's interesting. Cause you know, when you're, when you're meditating, obviously you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're not blocking things out, but you're kind of just letting things flow by. And then does a journal come that comes after the meditation, right? And you just kind of go all out. You know what? I, I'll do them in, in either order. Um, I think sometimes, I think probably most frequently I'll journal first and then meditate because it, it seems to kind of amplify the effects of journaling. Like, you know, journaling will get me to think about, some, some things that are going on. And then meditation is a really good way to just sort of sit with what I've discovered about myself. Interesting. Interesting. I might try that. I might switch it around. Okay, <laughs> cool. All right. So, you know, last question here, you, you talked about a few books that have impacted your life. Usually my question is, is narrowed down to one book, but, uh, you know, of those few books, which ones come to mind first? Yeah. So, um, you know, back in the day, a book called ready, fire, aim, by a guy named Michael Masterson really had a big impact on me less so much these days. Um, recently the biographies of just really amazing people have profoundly affected me. So the recent biography of Elon Musk, awesome. The, the book hatching Twitter about Twitter, that was, uh, good that, book. that really affected me. The uh, becoming Steve jobs, that had a profound effect on me. And um, generally, biographies or autobiographies of people who have, uh, have lived life, lived, lived lives where performance was really important. So, for example, even though it's not a business book, I think one of the best books for entrepreneurs is the Andre Agassi autobiography called Open. Uh, that it, it really kind of breaks down what it takes to be a champion, what it takes to rebound when things aren't going so well, the kind of mindset you need to have, how to respond to different struggles. So that that also had a, a really huge effect on me, and I would encourage uh, people to read that. Uh, the Everything Store about Amazon and Jeff Bezos 
um, that that had a, a pretty profound effect on me as well. I, I think narratives and stories about how people did things tend to be really helpful. I don't connect as much to books that have theories about how to do things correctly. I, I tend to learn more from personal journeys and direct experience than from sort of some synthesized model or, you know, or maybe those synthesized models are good when you're reading like the blogs of venture capitalists in small chunks. But if I'm going to sit down and commit to a 200 to 300 page book, I I learn a lot more from narratives. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that because you're learning from the lessons that they've, they've put together. And, you know, that's, it's something that, uh, you know, in, in entrepreneurs organization, organization, or even a young president's organization, you know, mm. when people share their, you aren't, you aren't allowed to give direct advice, people share their stories. And then you kind of take from that and kind of meld it into kind of what you have going on in your life. And then you derive action items from it, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's exactly the, the way to do it. I think something that's always missing, generally, from success, success books or business advice books is how to, you know, what failure looks like and how to recover from it. Because rarely do books go into, you know, how to fail, how to fail gracefully and how to recover. It's normally just about how to have success, period. It doesn't really get into uh, to to the opposite of that. Awesome. Totally agree with that. Uh, so less a key takeaway for everyone, uh, make sure you read your biographies. Um, all right. Clay, this has been great. Um, what's the best way for people to find you online? Probably Twitter. I'm just at Clay Collins uh, on Twitter. Got it. Okay. At Clay Collins. And, you know, also make sure you check out Lead Pages as well. It's at leadpages.net. Um, and, you know, it's an incredible tool. Clay, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Eric, thank you so much for this conversation for having me. Hey everyone, just a quick heads up that we're giving away a ebook called 29 Growth Hacking Quick Wins. We co-authored this book with Matan Griffel of One Month, and it'll give you a solid base on where you can create growth ideas from. So all you need to do is text QUICK TIPS to 33444. That's the word QUICK, Q-U-I-C-K, and TIPS, T-I-P-S as in sugar, to 33444, and you get instant access. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.